Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Louisville Urban League Radio Show and Podcast. I am Lyndon Pryor, Interim President and CEO of the Louisville Urban League. It is so good to be back with you. I hope that the week has treated you well. Um, since last week, we heard from one another. Um, I hope that you have been uh, just enjoying the time. There's a lot of things happening this fall season. These folks are gearing up, um, rushing towards all of the holidays and whatnot. And so I hope that um, you have found time to, to find some peace, but also find some fun and some joy for those of you who are parents and students. I hope that the school year um, is off to a really good start more than halfway through um, the first semester so hopefully things are going well for you all but most of all I just hope that you are safe happy and whole um, we are actually recording this a little earlier this week um, because our normal recording date I will have been out of town for a National Urban League event um, so whatever events have, have taken place over the last week, I hope that, that, that they have been good to you. Um, but I do have a couple of housekeeping things. One, uh, hopefully you have found tickets to our annual report luncheon, our annual impact report luncheon, which is coming up on December 1st. Um, we would love to see you in the place to talk about the good work that the Urban League has done. Um, as well as where we are going. Um, and then also it is election season. So please, please, please um, make sure that you are, that you have a plan uh, to be able to get out and vote. Early voting will start on Thursday, November 4th and be Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And then election day is November 7th. And so please, please, please have a plan to get out and vote. Remember, the Urban League is a nonpartisan organization. We do not represent any particular party. We are for those who are for us. And so we hope that you will go out and vote for those who are for you as well. If you want to help um, be engaged in voting activities, visit us at lul.org, click on the volunteer tab, and find ways for you to come out and help us canvas or phone bank. Uh, call and text people to encourage them to get out and vote. We need everybody showing up at the polls this year. Your vote is your voice. And so we really do hope um, that you will join us not only in going to the polls, but helping to turn other people out as well. Um, a couple of other great things that have happened that I just want to lift up. One, uh, a couple of weeks ago this time, I had the opportunity to speak to some students from BSUs from around JCPS, from around the district. Um, and it was just a phenomenal event. Um, they were led by the BSU at Manual High School. Uh, but those students are absolutely brilliant. And I think I said on social media, you know, we have not created a world that is yet worthy of them. Um, and we have to do better because they are committed to their neighbors, to their classmates, to their communities. Um, in ways that far too many of us adults are not. Um, and we owe it to them to create a better place. Um, but I just appreciate the invitation, them welcoming me into the space. Shout out to Greg Van, um, who is advising them for, for looping me in. But it was, it was a wonderful time. Um, and I just wish them much success. And obviously, the Louisville Urban League is always here to support them. And then also on... Last Friday would have been uh, our Kentucky and the Bills graduation. We had um, another cohort of 19 students to graduate from the Kentucky and the Bills class. We had um, a guest, uh, Lieutenant Governor Jacqueline Coleman, come in and speak. Uh, but it was just a phenomenal event. 
Um, 17 of the 19 already have jobs and are going to be working on projects around the city, including um, the Norton West End Hospital. Um, and so it's just phenomenal things. We got to hear from former graduates who are doing big things, who have started their own businesses and are, are, are doing great things in not only their field, but in the community. And so it was just a wonderful opportunity to be there and share space with them and their families. Um, but shout out to our Center for Workforce Development at the League and all of the great work that they are doing to help those students um, get to where they want to be in life. So now, um, for this week, we've got uh, another guest um, who is near and dear to me, certainly, but also to the Urban League. And I will say, let me preface this, uh, we were just talking about this and I did not realize that we were going to be now three weeks of preachers that was not intentional, y'all. Um, it just happened that way. Um, and so, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> um, but I will also say, you know, because I am a little biased, this is my pastor, Reverend Dr. Daniel Corey Shull, um, Pastor Bernard Avenue, but also school board member um, is here with us. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you. Uh, I think you're doing incredible work leading the Urban League, and uh, I'm always excited about what you do for this community and how the Urban League uh, impacts so many lives. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, as always, this show is we, we, we freeballing around here, um, and I don't do much in the way of, of uh, introductions. I love to let people... Uh, introduce themselves. So if you don't mind, give the people the quick and dirty on who Corey Shull is, where are you from, um, how did you get here um, and, and arrive at the place that you are? Well, my name is Corey Shull. As has just been stated, I am a native of Nashville, Tennessee, a proud graduate of Fisk University. I've gone to other schools, but my favorite school out of all of those <laughs> is Fisk University. And uh, I have been in Kentucky since two, late 2006 um, when I came to Campbellsville, Kentucky, to serve as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Campbellsville. And then in 2010, I, came, uh, I became the pastor of the Bernard Avenue Baptist Church here in Louisville. So I've been around Kentucky for almost 18 years. It's home now. Um, I spend a lot of time between either the faith community or uh, public education and uh, all of the schools that comprise our district that's known as Jefferson County Public Schools, where I'm privileged to serve as the sixth district representative. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, in thinking about where where we start, one, I want to talk about your experience at at Fisk, right? Like we have seen um, kind of a I don't know that it's necessarily a rise or resurgence. I think mm -hmm. in the public eye, there has now become somewhat of a resurgence or attention towards HBCUs yeah. and the HBCU experience. Um, what for you? was that like and what is the value of that particular educational experience? Oh, my experience at Fisk was life-changing. Mm. Uh, the people that I met there, the a process of matriculation, the culture, the history that you kind of step into, 
has been uh, radically formative for me. And uh, I carry Fisk with me and those professors with me and those um, my peers with me every single day of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the beautiful things about attending uh, a university such as Fisk is that it's, it feels like family. You're in an environment where people not simply want you to succeed, but they expect you to succeed and they will do anything necessary in order to aid uh, that success. Uh, I've been, I graduated, I guess, 16 years ago now, but yet professors still keep in contact with me. Mm -hmm. I still reach out to those professors when I have a big decision uh, to make, or, and I need to think through how to navigate certain things professionally, and so I'm tremendously indebted to uh, Fisk University for what was instilled in me and what I was experienced to during that time. Mm. Louisville Urban League's Kentuckiana Bills program is your introduction to the skills trades that lead to careers in construction, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, and HVAC. This six-week hands-on and technical education program provides training for job seekers to earn three national credentials, JCTC credit, all while connecting employers with a qualified, skilled workforce. This innovative partnership is funded by Kentuckiana Works and the Kentucky Education and Workforce Development Cabinet. For more information, visit lul.org backslash jobs. So translating that experience to um, particularly, your, you know, your role as a school board member working mm -hmm. at K through 12 over overseeing the operations of, of K through 12 public education here in Louisville. And I wonder, because, you know, my parents went to an HBCU largely because they didn't have a choice. That was mm -hmm. where they had to go. Um, but their K through 12 experience also, again, not necessarily by choice, <laughs> was largely segregated. But right. they will often say that the experience they had, they went to um, Prairie View A&M University. Shout out PVU. Um, but they will also often say that that experience was very much like the K through 12 educational experience mm -hmm. they had, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the community and family and the sense of not just people wanting you to succeed, but expecting you to succeed and those sorts of things. And so I wonder, as you look at kind of modern public education and we can specifically talk about what's happening here in Louisville, how, how do you reconcile this disconnect, right? Like. In, um, maybe disconnect's not the right word, but the sense of belonging that happens in a space like an HBCU, mm -hmm. like a Fisk or a Simmons or K-State or whatever, what have you, how have we lost that in our primary school experience? Well, I think at its most basic level, we've lost that because we've moved from educating our children mm. or children that we see as a part of our community uh, to more of a, um, an assembly line approach to education. So mm. these are empty vessels. I'm going to download them with the information mm. that will empower them to be uh, successful on a standardized test. Mm -hmm. We're going to move them through the system in a city like Louisville. Uh, we're going to make sure that they uh, are, are career ready mm -hmm. uh, or they have some type of technical certificate so that they can get a job and improve um, or and contribute to the job market here in Louisville. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what we want of public education today. Right. We, we really, I don't know that I sense a strong desire to form and expand minds, to give exposure, to educate for the sake of education. Mm -hmm. But it is to sort of feed a larger system. We need strong public, one thing that the business sector often says is we need strong public schools so that we have a workforce of tomorrow. Mm. Um, I think that's a terrible way mm -hmm. to think about education. I think it's mm -hmm. a horrible way to think about public education. Mm. I don't send my kids to school so that they can get jobs tomorrow. I send my kids to school so that they can create jobs of mm -hmm. tomorrow, so that they can create a whole, a, an entirely new world, so they can be leaders mm -hmm. and uh, thinkers. And, and so I, th I see that as a distinction mm -hmm. uh, between uh, HBCUs uh, and non-HBCUs. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it as a distinction between pre-integration schools and post-integration schools mm -hmm. and sort of the way that we think about um, what our children are gaining from the educational process. Hmm. I appreciate that because what you've just described, and I guess I've never quite thought about primary education in that way, but it was my experience in higher education that, you know, for, I mean, for most of its existence, higher education was supposed to be this place where you went and your mind got expanded mm -hmm. and you were supposed to learn. You were supposed to figure out what you wanted to be mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. um, and in the last few years when I was working at an institution, it felt very much like a factory. Like we were just pumping out kids to do this thing or that thing. And in talking to students, they felt stifled. That wasn't always the language mm -hmm. that they had around it, but it was, I'm just doing, I'm going through the motions, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm just going through the motions to be able to get to mm -hmm. graduation so that I can then go and do this job so that I can then move to that job mm -hmm. and get that salary. And then, and it just, for lack of a better word, it just wasn't fun, right? Yeah. Like, and part of this, that purpose of exploration is supposed to be fun. And I mm -hmm. had never considered like, yeah, we have somehow managed to take the joy and the fun of learning and growth even out of the primary space in mm -hmm. some sense, right? Yeah, because I think we're all, once you get to the third grade, it is all about making a certain score on a test. It is about hitting a certain benchmark. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, you know, we start preparing students for that even earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that if a child doesn't, is not doing a certain set of things that by age three, that they won't be prepared for kindergarten. And if they're not prepared for kindergarten, they're going to be behind and probably not proficient in reading and in um, arithmetic. And then all of that feeds into this big um, uh, deadline of the third grade where there's a test put in front of them. Mm -hmm. And if they don't score uh, at a certain proficiency level on that test, then it paints a bleak trajectory for their uh, academic careers. Mm -hmm. And we know from the larger, you know, uh, data points uh, that it can even paint a, a darker picture for their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I think that we should change the way that we speak about education uh, beginning at the primary level and going all the way up. But we do understand uh, 
in um, the American context, mm -hmm. we we have created environments to do just what you said. There are places where people send their children mm -hmm. to tap into the joy of education. There mm -hmm. are places where people send their college students to become the leaders, to become mm -hmm. uh, the, the disruptors. Right. And then there are other places that we send our kids that allows them to feel certain pre-created positions. Right. And that has long been the case. Yeah. Um, and so, I uh, I just I just I wish my hope for the world is that all children would be exposed to sort of a, a an experience that cultivates the life of the mind mm -hmm. and exposes them to the joy of learning and how how learning uh, really enriches our full humanity mm -hmm. and allows us to be more than uh, what we have yet to become. Yeah. So. And well, last thing you said wants me to talk about one thing, but on that, I think it is important to to lift up, just because we're in Louisville, Kentucky, that this is not this experience is not somehow isolated to JCPS. No, not at all. <laughs> it is not. This is this is the education experience largely across the nation in most places in what we've done. Largely in private in in public schools, but honestly, in some private institutions too, um, are dealing with this issue. And I and I raise that because, you know, I've spoken to the school board. You and I have talked. So much of what happens in society gets thrust upon our educational systems to deal with mm -hmm. and to wrestle with, mm -hmm. whether that be integration. Uh, whether that be poverty, whether it be mental health, like we are education, particularly public education, becomes the place where we decide like, here's where we're gonna experiment and figure out how that's supposed to work or not. Mm -hmm. And when it goes well, great, we'll try and apply that to the rest of society. When it doesn't, fine, but we're gonna blame the educators because it didn't happen, but never necessarily dealing with um, the issues themselves. And mm -hmm. I wondered, particularly in your role as a school board member, how do you all kind of grapple with the fact that so much of what is happening in schools has absolutely nothing to do with what happens in schools? Mm -hmm. You ask how do we, <laughs> and I can't speak for everybody. I don't think that everyone uh, who serves alongside me at, at, on the Board of Education um, seeks to view the issues that we have in our buildings mm -hmm. as a microcosm of what happens in our communities. Mm -hmm. As it relates to me, I think it's very simple to see mm -hmm. that uh, the schools don't exist on an island. Uh, schools are not some utopia. Um, that whatever is happening in community, it seeps into our school buildings, which means if kids don't feel safe, in their communities, mm -hmm. <laughs> that mm -hmm. lack of safety, uh, that's that that lack of of a sense of belonging, uh, will seep into our school buildings. And so, one thing that I try to do is always keep that front and center of my mind uh, as we grapple with 
issues that lawmakers and some community members would like to isolate to school buildings. Mm-hmm. So you all have all these weapons in, in, in the schools mm-hmm. and kids are bringing all these guns. Okay. Well, if you all could help us to pass responsible gun legislation, if you all could um, sponsor gun buybacks, and if you all would change the laws that actually allowed us uh, to render the collected guns inoperable, mm-hmm. we probably could reduce the number of guns mm-hmm. that find their way into school buildings. Right. But when you're not willing to do anything in the community, anything at the state level, anything legislatively, and then you point a finger at the school board and at the superintendent and say, you all need to get this done, you totally ignore the context out of which these children uh, emerge and come into our buildings. Yeah, And so how do we, let me now make this a more communal thing, right? Like how do we then begin to fight the actual battle, but but also the narrative, right? Like, so some of this is, you know, truly um, just just false narratives around what is actually happening in schools and, and what that experience was. That was one of the messages I had to the BSU students, mm-hmm. as well as to the administrators in there, was like, hey, we've got to change the narrative of what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because while certainly JCPS is not without its problems, um, it is not what people will often hear about, read about right. in the news. Um, we talk about, oh, the district's awash with guns. No, it's not, yeah. right? Like, that's not a reality. Um, that's not what's happening. And so... Well, that's not what one of our lawmakers told me uh, two weeks ago. They said 530. I'm like, where are you getting that data point? Nobody well, and that has number, told me nothing. Yes, and that number has been circulated. It has been in, circulated. In multiple places. And I said, on a, actually, on a task force, just in whatever, the day before yesterday, yesterday, whenever it was, I said, y'all have got to do something about that. Because yep. that number came out of somebody's mouth who had no business. Yep. Saying the wrong number. Yep. That was somebody who has well, the power to move money and lots of other things yep. in this city. And they said a number, and I had to be the one to say, You are wrong. Yep. I said, I don't know what the number is, but it ain't that. <laughs> so, it's what my grandmama would call a bald face lie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've not seen, no year have I sat on the Board of Education and seen a number anywhere near that number. And for him to say that and to say it, you know, so brazenly was, mm. was dangerous. Absolutely. Policy and laws that affect our daily lives are being decided by the candidates we elect. We can't afford to believe that our voices don't matter. This year, let's walk away from the excuses and walk towards the polls. Register to vote by October 10th and show up on November 7th to vote in your local election. Volunteer with the Louisville Urban League and help us gather the voices of the community. Visit lul.org volunteer. Absolutely, because it, it it hurts. And so I guess that is my question is how then do we we collectively begin to push back and to reshape this narrative around what is happening in the schools? And that's both from a safety standpoint, but also from an academic standpoint. Because mm-hmm. again, not that JCPS is perfect, but there are amazing things happening for students, that they are learning an incredible things, having awesome experiences, mm-hmm. growing in amazing ways in different places. And, and how does that get told to counter this in, 
incredibly harmful narrative that often gets put out by people with their own agenda? I think that uh, first, the school district has to do a better job of telling our story. Mm -hmm. So there, there, is so, there are so many good things that happen in JCPS day to day, mm -hmm. but we only hear about the headlines. Whatever you know, is in the Courier-Journal, whatever is on one of the uh, news media outlets, that's what informs the conversation and it's what we hear about the most. Nobody talks about um, all of the positive things that are happening and how, you know, we have students who are absolutely brilliant um, in every one of our buildings. And we have students who are, are gaining scholarships to go to major universities, students who are starting their own businesses and are winning all types of awards for that. We don't talk about the variety of schools that we have in JCPS. So there's a lot of conversation about the need for charter schools or the need for choice in education. Mm -hmm. And in JCPS, you have plenty of choice. You, you have schools that specialize in aviation. You have schools, uh, special schools like the Du Bois School for Boys, which has an Afrocentric uh, curriculum. You have Grace James, which merges Afrocentric curriculum with, um, st with STEAM, and they are doing an incredible Incredible job there. Then you have the Newcomer Academy, where uh, multilingual uh, learners are, and uh, these kids are brilliant in their own right. Uh, they speak, most of them, multiple languages, and they're just trying to figure out how to bring that uh, to bear in the American culture and what that means for their educational experiences. And so I wish that people were exposed to um, how broad and how really exciting uh, JCPS is and what it offers students and that we would tell those stories louder so that uh, people won't think that, you know, school buildings are, I don't know what to call them, a, a site of WWE. Mm. <laughs> right. Um, to that. We have, you know, there are some big changes, I guess, about mm -hmm. to come on mm -hmm. um, with, um, with the district. The rollout of these weapon detection systems mm -hmm. um, is about to start uh, this month and will continue throughout the year for high schools. Um, how are you feeling about that? And how, I guess, are you preparing your campuses to, to prepare um, for that change? Yeah. Um, I am not a cheerleader for weapons detection systems, mm -hmm. but in the current climate of our city and, you know, really our world, we had to make a decision, a very hard decision, um, as to how we would create another layer to keep our building safe. Mm -hmm. that's And we understand that weapons detection systems are not an end-all, be-all, that um, if someone really wants to work hard, there are other avenues in which mm -hmm. uh, they can work around those weapons detection systems. But we needed to be able to say to our parents that we are trying to um, implement the highest level of security in school buildings to keep your children safe, to keep teachers and staff safe as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so there's a lot of complexities around it. Uh, we're in conversations about how we make this m most equitable and how uh, we can try to prevent children from being criminalized. We know that um, kids don't bring guns to school because they're trying to do harm to their peers, but rather, rather they're trying to keep themselves safe uh, in community. Uh, the real challenge for us is is when that gun drops out of a backpack, right. and you know, <laughs> we've we've been very fortunate uh, that some things that could have happened did not happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but we we need to, to to really mitigate against that and reduce those numbers. And so we are preparing uh, students and staff and and parents for the implementation of the weapons detection systems. We're trying to over-communicate, but we're also trying to form policies uh, that will safeguard against these detection systems being misused mm -hmm. uh, and being um, being another barrier to the full educational experiences for children. Mm. And I, I want, you know, for those listening to be reminded and, and just be clear, so the Urban League was, was also not necessarily, and was not, not necessarily, not in favor mm -hmm. of moving towards weapons detections. However, we acknowledge that that the presence of those systems makes people feel safe, mm -hmm. right? And that that goes to, and people feeling safe is actually a part of people being safe. Mm -hmm. Like you have to actually feel it in order for people to, to truly actualize it. And so we understand that where we dug in um, and have been, you know, very vocal has been on the side of well, what happens, mm -hmm. you know, to the students who bring those because that is the space where you talk about not wanting to criminalize kids, um, you know, where we are really hoping to, to make some good headway right. with regard to policy and what JCPS does to those students. Now, I recognize that you all's hands are somewhat tied because we have a state that for whatever reason has decided that it is perfectly fine for you to walk around the street with a gun unlicensed, unregistered into whatever building you want to. Yep. But for some reason, when a student brings a gun on campus, then they need to be removed for at least a period of 12 months. Um, somebody needs to make that make sense to me because mm -hmm. uh, I don't quite understand mm -hmm. the disconnect there. But what are you all looking at um, in terms of kind of help, being able to help address those root cause issues, like why a student would actually bring it there and what happens um, to that child? Um, mm -hmm. Let me make sure I say that child um, when they find themselves in a situation where they've been caught with a weapon. As it relates to root cause issues, what JCPS is doing is calling on community and state lawmakers to partner with us in uh, addressing root cause issues. We have so many issues just trying to get kids to school and keep them safe when they're at school and get them proficiency and literacy and numeracy that it is almost impossible to address the root causes of the lack of safety in our wider communities or the proliferation of guns and, and children's access to them. Children can get guns 
now easier than they can get a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need everybody to help us mm-hmm. with some of those root cause issues. And so we've been having conversations and challenging members of this community and lawmakers to partner with us, make the laws make sense. We can change the law about what happens to a child who brings a gun to school. One thing that I'm concerned about is uh, somebody putting a gun in a kid's backpack. The gun Mm -hmm. is there, the kid doesn't know it, goes through the the weapons detection system, and then that child is in trouble Mm -hmm. for something that they didn't even know the gun was back there uh, in their backpack. And so how can we, you know, sort of help those types of instances, keep those kind of instances from happening. Um, we're, we're working through all of that, and we'll need a lot of help with that. But JCPS can't do it alone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, you know, the Urban League is at the table, mm-hmm. willing to do, as well as I know there are lots of other partners standing at the ready who who want to be able to help awesome. um, better do, uh, do a better job um, by our kids, because ultimately that is... Um, what is most important here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you talked about earlier about the, in terms of education system and um, the kind of the lack of humanity uh, is the word I will use um, in this. And I, I use this to kind of pivot to your day job. Um, which is <laughs> as the pastor of a church. And I wonder, um, as a faith leader, when you think about beyond the education system, but just kind of when we look at community, society, and the way in which we are operating, um, do you feel like there has, that, that, that we have kind of lost this, this sense of human connection with one another and that that is driving a lot of what we are seeing in our society? Most certainly. Mm. I think that we have lost the principle of seeing the divinity in all humanity, uh, in our uh, brothers and our sisters, no matter what shape or color uh, that they may come in, that Mm. they have um, a spark of the divine. And because we have lost sight of that, we tend to treat um, people as things. Um, We have a lot of transactional relationships with one another, and we don't get to the core uh, of human personality. And we see this sort of corroding of... of, um, our interhuman relationships play out in a variety of ways. You see it play out um, politically, where you have one party, their entire platform is um, making straw men of people that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And instead of, when, when you see the spark of divinity in your brother or your sister or your non-binary kin, Mm -hmm. you start with that spark, Mm -hmm. and then you seek to understand uh, that person as a child of God. Mm -hmm. When you can't see that spark, then you entreat that person as 
whatever you do or do not like about them, which is how we get many of the squabbles that we have. And so we see it play out politically where uh, we have laws that are passed um, that really don't impact large groups of people, but they further ostracize and, and, and marginalize already suffering groups of people, uh, suffering populations of people. I think we see it play out in our communities. Uh, I'm really concerned about how many of our youth seem to have no respect for human life. Um, you know, the carjackings, the, the murders, the, um, the sort of uh, very violent interactions speak to being detached from one's own humanity and definitely not being able to see the humanity in another. Um, you mentioned my day job. I don't know what day job I have, uh, but <laughs> like I get them confused. I just go by, you know, what day it is. But um, one thing that I do often, more often than I would like, I get calls from the funeral home asking, hey, we have, you know, a young person that has passed. We would like for you to do the service. They don't have a pastor. And often what I see in those moments uh, really disturbs me because they've taken death just to be um, a foregone conclusion, mm-hmm. that uh, premature uh, um, deaths is just the way that it is, and they have sort of formed coping mechanisms around mm-hmm. uh, this this violence, this... Uh, lack of humanity, and so I don't know what can be done, but I know we've got to do something in order um, to really lean in the direction of of restoring that humanity, uh, restoring the ability to see the humanity in other people, and uh, being able to rebuild community around our shared humanity and not our differences. When your child enrolls in Kumon, they can reach math and reading mastery that will allow them to have a lifetime of advantages. Kumon is an academic achievement program, preschool through high school, the world's most successful after school learning program. To enroll today, contact us directly at 502-552-0014. Wellington Kumon, located at 3610 Mall Road, next to Target in the Newburgh area. So I wonder, because some of, you know, some of even the language that you, you just used to talk about, you know, seeing the humanity in our brothers and sisters or our non-binary neighbors and those, some of those ideas and very concepts can run afoul or against um, even those who are who are in the faith community mm-hmm. and particularly in the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you? Um, and I, you know, have the pleasure and benefit of getting to watch you do it. You know, on a week in week out basis. But how is it that you negotiate and or wrestle with the the absence of respect for humanity, even within the church? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, in the Big C Church, um, I always try to be on the side of 
broadening our understanding of the love of God. In Little C Church, the congregation that I serve as pastor, uh, I'm committed to always creating an environment where people who may not fit so neatly into our boxes can come mm-hmm. and find a, 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 a safe place mm-hmm. and a place of hope and a place where they can access the grace of God and feel the love of God. Mm-hmm. Um, this often pushes me uh, sometimes out of my comfort zone because mm-hmm. there are some things that I just don't understand. It was like, what, what is this about? Uh, but it is where seeing the humanity in others and understanding that every person that we meet is a child of God and a part of that conviction is being able to self-regulate um, to the extent that you don't spend so much time trying to impose your understanding, whether it be theologically or philosophically, about how a person ought to live their life, but rather understanding that I will be judged on the, on the way in which and the measure by which I love my neighbor. And if I fail at loving my neighbor, I have failed, period. period. You know, Jesus doesn't say, try to understand your neighbor <laughs> or try to like your neighbor or try to, you know, work around the areas of their, their life that you can approve of. It just says love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by, by your love, uh, they will know that you are mine. And so I think we have to keep that central uh, in order to be able to minister to people who come from all different walks of life and uh, to always ensure that we're keeping the love of, of God as, as, as the center. And so is that, I wonder, is that perspective also what drives, and I'd say for, you know, I've heard you speak from the pulpit, but also in the work of the church, um, this, this really action-oriented um, push towards justice. Mm-hmm. Is that how those things connect for you in terms of the work of the church and what it does? Right. So the the church must always be concerned about its Christian witness. Mm -hmm. I think too often the church is preoccupied with personal piety Mm -hmm. and one's personal salvation. And that has its place. That is very important. But the witness of the church should be projected outward to the community. And so the only way that you really can project that Christian witness is through uh, the advocating for justice, the working for justice. Um, And, you know, we do missions work as well, Mm -hmm. but all too often missions work only deals with the fruit. It doesn't deal with the root. Justice deals with the root. Mm -hmm. Um, The prophets speak of pulling up and tearing down. That's justice. Um, when we dealing in missions, we just simply, we give you a plate of food and that feeds you for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. But we want to work for a world where people don't need a handout of food, mm-hmm. but that they can um, live in areas that are, that are not food deserts, where mm-hmm. they can access all that they need uh, for their own uh, 
life-sustaining and uh, for the perpetuation of their families. And so the work that we try to do is always aimed there, and we don't do it perfectly. Um, a lot of the time we don't know what we're doing. We just know that there is a need, that there is a wrong that needs to be righted, that there's somebody who needs to be cared for, and we seek to do those things. Mm. How have you, I guess, how have you decided, or not decided, but in terms of your leadership in this space, right? Like, because I think, you know, and yeah, I'm biased, but I, I think I can objectively say that, you know, in terms of, um, of leaders in this community, not just faith leaders, but just leaders in this community, right? Like, that you have become very much an outspoken voice. Um, it was by accident. This work. That was <laughs> well, so I was going to ask, accident. explain then, how was it by accident? <laughs> it, it is just... It is, you know, people, they think I have some strategy mm -hmm. or that I meant to do anything that I am doing now. I, I didn't. <laughs> um, you just said I'm very outspoken, that I, I just talk at the wrong times, honestly. <laughs> um, even the work that I'm doing with JCPS, I just kind of fell into. There mm -hmm. was a need at a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we There was some larger work that the community was involved in as it related to... Um, the Du Bois School, um, getting Grace James opened, mm -hmm. as it related to restorative practices, uh, as it related to making sure that uh, all schools mm -hmm. uh, received an equitable allotment of resources. Th those were the issues at stake, and the people who were seeking the seat that I now sit in, they were not champions of those causes. Mm -hmm. And simply because we got to August and nobody else who, <laughs> we, who we considered would actually fight for what we cared about, that's why I am in this seat now. <laughs> I've never had any intentions on any of it. Um, and much of the work that the church uh, does and, and that, that, um, we have done throughout the years is simply because a need arose mm -hmm. and we felt the, you know, the, the inspiration of the spirit mm -hmm. uh, or the call of God uh, to, to lean into that area and to do something for people uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, so I can appreciate that, Pastor, but at the same time, you weren't the only one who saw that need. You weren't the only one who probably felt that push from the spirit. Um, there is a measure of, my words, courage required to step up and do these things. Because there, there are plenty of churches that don't. Or right? stupidity. <laughs> or stupidity. But today we're going to call it courage. <laughs> so, That's a nice way to put it. So, I mean, but I do wonder, like, because... I mean, I know you well enough to know, like, you recognize sometimes standing up, you, you probably going to get hit over the head with mm -hmm. something, right? Like, mm -hmm. but you stand up anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder for you, like, where does that courage come from? I would say that it comes from, uh, from God, from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Um, it comes from a conviction to do what is right, period. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's it's one of my challenges in being in the political realm because I'm not moved by power dynamics. I'm not interested in um, playing politics. I'm interested in doing what is right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that can get murky sometimes <laughs> as it relates to operating in certain spheres. Uh, but I think, you know, staying attached to that moral center of what is the moral, what is the ethical, what is the right thing to do in this moment concerning this issue? Mm -hmm. That's always the question that I'm coming back to. Mm -hmm. And that if I feel like I'm on the side of right, I can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of gives me uh, some of the courage. Also, when you consider the moral, ethical, and spiritual implications of a stance that you're taking or a work that you're undertaking, you've also got to consider what it means if you don't do it. Mm. And will I be able to live with myself if I don't? And so those are always um, kind of what's juggling in my mind. I say to myself, Almost every day I should have been a rapper. Um, my life would have been real smooth. <laughs> I'd have a bunch of money. I mean, and particularly today's rappers. Yes, you I mean, auto-tune, I could have done it. You wouldn't um, need to. So. We can actually understand you when you speak. <laughs> <laughs> they could have called me, you know, Lil' C, Lil' mm -hmm. Season. That's it. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm in this work, and it has been an accident, but it's been a joy, and mm -hmm. it's been meaningful work, and it's been life-giving work in many ways. Awesome. So... We're about to wrap up, but I got two things for you. One, um, why is Louisville so concerned with being Nashville? And, <laughs> and should we be? <laughs> I, you know, Nashville's a great place. Um, it is not necessarily the greatest place for uh, people who are middle class now mm -hmm. um, or for people who are black. Um, I grew up in Nashville, mm -hmm. and I remember Nashville pre-gentrification. Mm. Um, it is, it is oft, it is unsettling for me every time I return to Nashville and see the places that Black people owned and uh, thrived in for generations now be overtaken by colonizers. Mm. Um, I shouldn't say that on your show. It's perfectly but, fine. Believe um, me, people say it, it much worse. It is. <laughs> It is deeply unsettling for me. And to see how black people in that city have been pushed mm -hmm. uh, to the margins of the city or just entirely pushed out of the city. And they are now living in the cities around the city. And you have all these people from um, interesting places who yeah. have now occupied Nashville proper. So, I mean, it's a cool city to visit. It's a fun city to visit. Uh, but it is not a very livable city for people who call Nashville home. Mm. Um, and people who, you know, the teachers who work in the schools, teachers can't, you know, afford to live in the city uh, on a teacher's salary in Nashville. Mm. And for people who are just regular middle class, hardworking people, um, it's a very difficult place to live and to thrive. And so I would hope that Louisville, in its quest to grow, would consider all people. Mm -hmm. In, in, in that growth and in that quest, I think that there are ways to 
look at Nashville and um, to learn Nashville's lessons that we can grow together, mm -hmm. uh, that we can create a place where all people feel at home and all people have enjoyment. And by the way, Nashville is not called Music City USA because of country music. It is called Music City USA because the Fisk Jubilee singers traveled yes. to England and the Queen said, you come from the Music City. Mm -hmm. That is why Nashville is called Music City, not because of Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> I did not know that. I, I did not know. I'd never ascribe Music City to country music, but <laughs> I did not know that it was because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, of which I actually had, we had a record of the Fisk Jubilee Singers growing up, so I was very familiar with okay. them coming up. Um, Last question for you. Um, this question I ask all of our guests. What is your hope for Louisville? My hope for Louisville is for, for us to be able to break out of the quagmire of such extreme stratification, racially and economically. Um, I, I hope that there is a way for us to learn to move forward together in a sustained way. Mm. I think back to mm, somewhere between June, July, August after Breonna Taylor and how there was so much cooperation mm. uh, between organizations and um, uh, businesses, uh, business corporations to try to move the city forward and to try to make some redress of the wrongs. And much of that seems to have dissipated at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that we can have another, another shot at working together, not after tragedy, but working together um, in, 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 in the hopes that all people here can thrive and flourish and uh, enjoy this place that we call Louisville. Well, Pastor, thank you um, for joining us. I mean, I, you know, you are absolutely one of my favorite people. You're one of mine. I appreciate you. Um, and just the example that you have led, whether that be um, from the pulpit in the church to out in community, um, you are who you say you are and show up authentically everywhere you go. Thank and you. that means a heck of a whole lot, um, considering the spaces I need to travel in. <laughs> Um, and so I appreciate that Thank tremendously you, and appreciate like your willingness to take risks and to innovate um, um, in in the hopes for, for helping community, right? Like some of the things that we've done at the church around helping those who are houseless and other things, right? Like being willing to push um, the limits of what we believe is possible um, is really what it's going to take. And so I am always honored um, and, and so incredibly thankful to be able to do work alongside you um, and as well as to be led by you um, in this vein. So thank you for your work, for your partnership. You're also a path signer. So thank you for that support as well of the Urban League um, and the work that we do. And I just I look forward to being able to continue this, this partnership till hopefully one day, you know, we don't, we don't need to do so.
so much anymore. <laughs> Preferably so. Well, I appreciate your work. Always good to be a brother. Yes. And I uh, thank you for all the ditches you get me out of. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I can't quite figure out how not, to uh, make it right. Not a problem <laughs> at, at all. And um, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Listen Up, the Louisville Urban Leagues radio show and podcast. And we have made it through another successful show with a preacher. I still feel like I can walk into church on Sunday. So that's awesome. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful week. Uh, remember to prepare yourself to go out and vote. Um, get a plan together and figure out who's on the ballot and what you are voting for. Remember, this is your voice. Um, if you want to volunteer with us, you can check us out at LUL.org. Click on the volunteer tab and sign up for an opportunity to turn, the pe- turn people out to vote. Um, have a safe and joyful week. Louisville. Uh, We will see you next week. Peace. The Louisville Urban League wants to make sure that every student thrives academically. And to make that possible, the league is offering free intensive tutoring to JCPS students who qualify. Kindergarten through 12th grade students can receive export help in reading, math, and ACT prep. Kids like me deserve every opportunity to succeed in to reach our greatest potential. Sign your student up today. To learn more, visit lul.org or call 502-585-4622.